The scripture reading today, Jonah 3, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matt. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. We are continuing our sermon series for this month, Black History Month, looking at some of the stories of the minor prophets in the Old Testament and connecting them with stories from this book, Little Leaders, Bold Women in Black History, by Vashti Harrison. So today, I would like for you to meet Charlotte E. Ray. Uh, Jordan, if you go like two slides past this. There she is. She's also up here. Charlotte's father was a minister and an abolitionist newspaper editor. Her mother helped slaves escape north on the Underground Railroad. Together they made sure that all of their seven children had a college education, and Charlotte definitely inherited the activist and proactive qualities from both of her parents. As a young woman, she moved from New York City to Washington, D.C. to study at the Institute, Institution for the Education of Colored Youth. After completing her education, she began teaching at Howard University, training students to become elementary school teachers. But Charlotte had other things on her mind. She applied to Howard University's all-male law school under the name C.E. Ray. The admissions committee was surprised to discover that she was a woman, but led her into the program nonetheless. 
She studied commercial law while still teaching. It was a demanding workload, but in 1872, she finished the program and became the first African-American woman to graduate from law school in the United States. She was only the third woman of any race to complete law school in America. Many noted her skill and legal knowledge, but her gender and race prevented her from having a true shot at building a career. For several years, she attempted to establish a practice, but was unsuccessful. This setback did not stop Charlotte from making an impact. She returned to teaching, this time with young students in the public school system. She was an advocate for women's, rights to, for women's right to vote and a delegate at the 1876 National Women's Suffrage Association. She is remembered as a pioneer, and her legacy lives on in the Charlotte E. Ray Award given to promising African-American law student, African-American woman law student every year. Charlotte E. Ray. So when I was growing up, as many of you know, in the Bible Belt of Texas, my family attended Thai United Methodist Church. It was the church that my grandparents attended. It was the church that my mother and my aunt had grown up in. This church was my home. I knew every inch and nook of that building all of the smells and the sounds, even the creepy classrooms in the very back that we only used for storage in those days. I knew it all. It was our family's church. Our connection went deep there. My granddaddy was the head of most committees, I'm sure, at one time or another, and my grandmother was the organist. That church was ours. It was mine, my church. And the fact that my sister, my brother, and I were the only children in the church kind of cemented the, um, cemented the importance of it in my mind. So, when I was in fourth grade, and this spunky third grader named Crystal Gale not the singer, and her family started attending my church, I did not like it. I did not like her. Who was she coming in and charming her way through the people that raised me? Like Jeffy Lee Stegner, one of my mom's elementary school teachers, stopping to say hi to her? Or James Barley, the town's auto mechanic, laughing at her jokes? Or my grandparents talking to her, patting her on the head? Here's the thing. There are very few people in my life that I don't like. But there was a moment full of jealousy and selfishness that I decided I was going to hate her. 
dadgummit. And that's about the same kind of place that we find Jonah. We didn't hear the whole story from the scriptures, but you remember it. Jonah called out by God to go to Nineveh, says, no thanks, jumps off a boat, runs away, swallowed by a fish. Here we find him in the scripture that we heard that Matt read for us. He finally went to Nineveh and preached, and the Ninevites changed their ways. But the place that we find Jonah is a place where he has such a warped sense of outrage that God would want to extend any care to the Ninevites that he seriously would rather die. We actually know very little about Jonah other than he is the son of Amittai and that the Old Testament book 2 Kings names that Jonah, the son of Amittai, was a prophet during the rule of King Jeroboam II of Israel, which tells us that Jonah was most likely a citizen of the northern kingdom. So if you remember in that time for a long while, Israel was split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. So Jonah probably lived in the northern kingdom. It's kind of what we know about him. But what we can infer is that Jonah was a staunch Jewish nationalist and believed that only God's, that be, sorry, I'm so tripping over my words today, believed that God's salvific plan was for the people of Israel only. And while we often tell the story of Jonah being swallowed by a big fish to children, and believe me, it is pretty fun to crawl into a dark box with a bunch of kids and open a can of tuna to create the ambiance of being in the belly and talking about how God saved Jonah from a pretty disgusting fate. We usually say that Jonah ended up there because he just didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Just sort of right. But the disturbing, deeper, underlying truth is that Jonah would have rather died than admit that the Ninevites were worthy of God's care. He was so committed to not doing this that he ran away from God by getting on a boat and he threw himself off into the sea to die. That is how much he was committed to his stance. And we know that God did have that fish come and vomit him onto a shore. This is the Bible. I'm not trying to be gross. This is just the Bible. And that he did go and preach to the Ninevites, like the scripture we heard today. But unfortunately, Jonah's story does not end well, if you move in to chapter 4, which is the very ending of Jonah, Jonah tells, he tells us in his, he tells God that he's so mad about God's mercy towards Nineveh that he's ready to just sit down and die. 
He's so mad. Now, God tries to perform a little object lesson with Jonah by um, making this plant grow over Jonah to give him shade, and then the worm comes and destroys the plant, just trying to tell Jonah that, hey, you know, I'm the one that made the plant. You can't be mad about the plant living or the plant dying. But Jonah is still mad, and God asks him about his anger. Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah replies, yes, angry enough to die. And that's where it ends. With Jonah stewing in his anger, prejudice, and outrage, just because God chose to be God. As much as it seems far-fetched for this story to have existed, for a person to have survived being swallowed by a fish, I actually find Jonah to be one of the most authentic stories in the Bible. Because how often do we get in our own way and refuse for God to do God's powerful work in us? How often do we run the other way when there is hard work ahead or the idea that we might have to change our mind because of God's redemptive work in the world? Living as a faithful person, following the promptings of God's action is not easy, and sometimes it causes and asks us to change our mind. But how many of us have been so stubborn that we refuse to change our mind. How many of us have taken the easy way out? I guess it's actually a privilege to be able to take the easy way out, especially when I read the story of Charlotte E. Ray. She did not have the privilege of taking an easy way out. There was no easy way for her to follow her dreams, to follow her heart, to follow her calling. She had to fight every single step. Everything I've read about her just says because of her gender and race, she was unable to succeed. But behind that phrase, because of her gender and race, consider how many Jonas are there putting up roadblocks, saying terrible things, running away from God's inclusive grace, holding staunch to ideas that needed to be challenged because they would rather die that expose themselves to the expansive love of God that extends beyond them. Jonah shows us how our prejudices, like Jonah's weird sense of being part of God's chosen, can hinder us from following the will of God. You know, I really don't remember what it was that helped me see Crystal Gale in a different light. I was ready to hate her for eternity. As I look back, it probably was my sister, who is two years older than me and who I have always worshipped. And I'm pretty sure that Cheryl thought Crystal was kind of funny. And so at some point, I begrudgingly 
gave her a chance. And it turned out that she loved the Beatles almost as much as I did, and that she was silly and smart and kind. And she eventually became a third sister to us. And I loved her more than I ever believed possible and became a different person because of her. I've shared her story in this sanctuary before. She meant so much to us. And tragically, she died when we were in our 20s. But Crystal will always be a reminder to me that God's plan and care are bigger than my small, closed heart could ever imagine. And also, she's a reminder to me that despite humanity's best efforts, God's love always wins. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us these day, today. Amen.